This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. All right, welcome back to the WOMED. I really hope this Monday is good to you. This week, I'm speaking with Katie Vigos, an ICU nurse, mother, and founder of the Empowered Birth Project. Katie and I discuss how COVID is affecting mother's birth experiences, the birth community, as well as her own journey in nursing. Being an advocate isn't always easy. It can be rewarding and heavy at the same time, especially navigating advocacy work on social media. But I'm very excited for y'all to dig into this episode and learn more about Katie. Let's go, guys. This week's nursey energy moment happens to be my own. Most of y'all know I transitioned into aesthetic nursing, but that journey has been pretty stilted. Is that the right word? Not sure if it is, but I'm going to go with it. During the pandemic and with COVID, trainings have been put on hold, but I'm so excited. I got to work on my first set of lips this week and they turned out beautiful. I've been watching and learning for months and it just felt so good to get my hands on some filler and plump up my patient's lips and just really kind of reconstruct a little. I mean, she didn't need much. Like she has a beautiful lip, but you know, wanted just a little enhancement. You know, you can only watch different techniques and procedures and stuff so much. You can only watch someone put in an IV so many times before you're like, let me at it. And I was at that let me at it phase. So I just wanted to share that. My patient was super happy with their results. And, you know, I always want to know what's something that made you guys feel great this week. A new skill you got to practice. What made you feel like a badass? DM me. Tell me. I want to know. Welcome back to the WOMED, everybody. I am speaking with Katie Vigos today. She is a registered nurse and founder of the Empowered Birth Project. I'm so excited to speak with you today. We've had a few technical difficulties, and hopefully those stay at bay now. But yeah, welcome to the WOMED. I'm so glad we finally got you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. You work in ICU float pool right now, correct? Yes. That's right. Critical care is still my primary specialty at the moment. I love that. When did you know you wanted to be a nurse? Like what led you to this field? I've always been interested in anatomy and physiology as a kid. I found the human body to just be so fascinating and I was just drawn to those uh, sciences. And when I was a senior in high school, my school offered a free course to become certified as a CNA, a nursing assistant. And oh, cool. so I immediately saw kind of this golden opportunity to get certified to start working in this field that I'd always been interested in. So mm-hmm. I took the class and then got my first job working in a skilled nursing facility. And I've pretty much never stopped. I love that. That's amazing. That's basically the road I took too. Like I, well, I knew like I wanted to be a nurse, but like as soon as I could take that CNA course, I did that. It's a great way to get started. Yeah. And I'll, it definitely will introduce you to, to see if you can handle being around that much bodily fluid. Yeah. that Well, that particular job was like probably the most backbreaking labor I've ever done in my life. Yeah. So yeah. Um, only, I've only gone uphill from there or gotten better from there. That was so hard. I was too young and inexperienced to even know any better. I was just excited to be working and, you know, getting started with my career. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I started working on a med surge floor and I've literally never been in more pain in my life than when I would come home from working, like a shift there. I have so much respect for med surge nurses. Yes. Honestly, think it's harder in many ways than what I do in critical care. I have mm-hmm. had respect for floor nursing. Same, same. I mean, like I ended up in the NICU. I was like, I've had enough of adults. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't move them. <laughs> no, it's it's physically very challenging. Mm-hmm. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually challenging job. It requires like our whole being to be present. 
Yes. People. Yeah. What has life been like for you since the pandemic started with working, still being in the ICU? Uh, it's, you know, it's been a roller coaster. I, at the time that um, COVID really started to hit the United States and when we went on lockdown here in California, I was on a full-time loan to cardiovascular ICU, which was a, ch- a challenging assignment, but I took it because I wanted, you know, some full-time work for a few months. And I was just a few weeks into that assignment and starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. And because I was per diem and because all, almost all elective and non-emergent surgeries completely stopped, mm-hmm. all of a sudden that unit was way overstaffed and they were like, well, we don't need you anymore. Sorry. And I was like, oh. okay. So I lost that gig. And then I had been working in outpatient surgery as well with a facility for three years and that completely shut down. So ironically, I was kind of gearing up, you know, in those early weeks, I'm like, all right, here we go. Like I've been training my whole life for this mm-hmm. and I was, it just didn't play out the way I expected. And now all of a sudden I'm worried about, you know, getting enough work as a yeah. nurse in a pandemic. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that, that, you know, I'm sure you're aware of and many people listening are aware of, but, you know, the per diem crowd got hit pretty hard and everything Mm -hmm. just shifted around so quickly. And then it was like travel nurses coming in and, you know, my coworkers are, you know, leaving and getting work elsewhere because they can't get it at our hospital. And it just felt so chaotic and uncertain. And I have had uh, also been working for the private sector for the last eight or nine years here in Los Angeles. Oh, um, okay. I've done a lot of private duty nursing. And so I'm really networked into that uh, field as well here. And so I was able to just hustle and, you know, find some private work and, you know, just like piecing everything together. Like a lot of us per diem nurses are good at doing, you know? Yeah. I, so I was able to get through, you know, kind of those early months. Um, and then things started to pick up again at my hospital. And so now that I'm able to work more, you know, I'm kind of back mostly full-time in the ICU again, doing some uh, private work as well on the side. Um, it's, it's changed everything. I mean, regardless yeah. of where we work, like, especially at first, like the policies and procedures were just changing daily, you know, as mm-hmm. we're figuring out the best ways to protect ourselves and screen all of our patients and everything. And so that was overwhelming to keep up with. And, you know, for example, I was floated to, you know, telemetry one day at a, a unit I had worked oh like only once before. Mm-hmm. And I come on shift and I have a patient who um, is like in basically in respiratory distress, and not like the level of a rapid response per se, but like mm-hmm. he's on high flow nasal cannula, like. 80%, like 50 liters or something like that. And, you know, he has tachypnic and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, uh, are we going to test this guy for COVID? Like yeah. we're in a pandemic and I'm like, where's my PPE now? I was like, I kind of don't want to go in the room unless I have that. And then I really had to advocate for myself and be like, you know, let's test this guy. That was before my hospital. Now my hospital is testing everybody. But like mm-hmm. those early weeks were really stressful that way because there were so many unknowns and it was it was scary to walk into work, which previously was familiar and comfortable to me as an experienced nurse, mm-hmm. and to now just feel so on edge. You know, now things have settled down more, mm-hmm. but I still, you know, I get floated to the COVID ICU uh, pretty regularly, and it's just surreal, you know, how much that has changed. It's like we've got the pumps outside the room, you know, with like these long lines, everybody's oh in isolation. Yeah. Well, that's actually a good thing, you know, so we can titrate yeah. all the drips and stuff without, without having, having to, to go in and out of the rooms and regown. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. It's just, everything has changed in such a short period of time. Um, you wow. know, and, and many facets of, of life really, but, you know, especially as a nurse, I feel really fortunate that the hospital I work for has been very supportive and I, um, they do like ultraviolet radiation sterilization, I guess, of, you know, our masks and our Mm -hmm. goggles and stuff. And, um, I, I do feel like as safe as I could possibly feel in a pandemic being there. 
That's um, but there have been other instances like I've, you know, been called to see private clients as I always was before. And now it's like, oh, I guess I have to bring my own PPE now. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, how does that affect oh, yeah. my, my career as a, an independent contractor? I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. okay, so I'm trying to source, you know, PPE uh, on an outpatient basis. And like, that's been really difficult and it feels more risky in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're, we're just encountering it everywhere. It's just like COVID is everywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything has yeah. to be. Uh, so like the agency that you're like independently like contracted through, they don't supply you with any, like any PPE to go and visit these patients? Um, it's most of the work is not through an agency. Sometimes oh. it is. Okay. But even the agencies themselves have a difficult time getting mm. the PPE. I mean, we had a massive shortage, you know, yeah. not long ago. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, one of my jobs. I mean, I'm, I'm such a per diem for life <laughs> type of person. <laughs> I have so many different things that I like to do, but I was uh, working for a home health agency and I had like a couple home infusion clients mm-hmm. and they're like, we just don't have N95s. We can't get them. We don't know how to get them. They're just not available. They're like, here's oh, some God. surgical masks. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> this affected, this was difficult for everybody. Yeah, you know, even administrators and you know companies. Um, so it really just trickled down to just every level of healthcare. Yeah, I've never been like a float pool per diem, like you're a nurse, and you you say like you're you're definitely a PD, uh, <laughs> per diem for life. What is that? What does that mean in that sort of circle of nurses? You know, it means that I like to maintain uh, my flexibility and my options for my career. I love variety and flexibility. And so for me, being a per diem nurse gives me that much more than, you know, being a staff nurse and committing to one particular place. It's actually my strategy for longevity and to prevent Mm -hmm. burnout, because I found that when I first started and I was, you know, in one ICU consistently uh, full time. I burned out really fast and hard. And oh, wow. so for me, I need to like mix things up. I just mm-hmm. like ICU nursing, you know, inpatient bedside nursing it can be just so demanding mm-hmm. um, that I really, I have to balance that with outpatient stuff and the private stuff yeah, um, in order to feel just like excited and healthy. That's amazing that you came to that realization for yourself though. Cause I feel like you know, most nurses, we, we all have these side hustles, no matter what, like we're, we're all working multiple jobs or have multiple things that we like to do because you just have to balance at least for like critical care nurses. Like you really have to, to balance that. I mean, like I was working as like, um, a nurse on set for Nashville for the TV show that was, uh, filmed here. And it was just like, just having like something else you know, that like was really helped take me away from like the hospital bedside, which I loved, but like just finding that balance of like, you have older, other things that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think being a nurse is, it's different from a lot of other professions in the sense that it, it really can become one's identity. Like it's Mm -hmm. not just my job, it's who I am. Mm-hmm. And that plus like the physical, mental, emotional demands of our work can be really just all consuming in a way. Yeah. Like I've had to, it's like important to me to be something besides a nurse. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I'm not always a nurse, like not every, I mean, okay. So a recent example of this is that, that crazy study that was published by those male physicians criticizing female, their female colleagues mm-hmm. for the way that they presented themselves on social media. Yeah. Like other jobs, they don't have that so much. Like we're not expected to always be a nurse and, you know, mm-hmm. they're not expected to always be what they are, even on their off time, as if like that right. somehow makes them, you know, less professional or, you know, dampens their credibility and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, I guess sometimes I think that I see that a lot in nurses and healthcare professionals is like, 
we work really hard and we also play and hobby really hard almost yes. just balance out you know that consuming identity that this job can give us yeah i i definitely struggled with that when i realized i needed to take some time away from the bedside completely and i was like oh my god i'm not a nurse anymore but then i'm like where did my like my i still have my education i still have my degree like that didn't go anywhere but it was interesting to me how like that was the first time i was like oh my god like my identity has solely been based off of I'm the girl that saves babies. Wow. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what I would do if I weren't a nurse. I mean, I know what my, mm-hmm. like my hobbies are and things that I enjoy, but if I was to change careers, I, I think I would also experience kind of that loss of identity for mm-hmm. sure. Like, yeah. who am I if I'm not a nurse, if I'm not working 12 hour shifts, if I'm not grinding, if I'm not you know, slaving away to make sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Taking all the emotional abuse from parents or your superiors and yeah. 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 That's all very real for sure. Mm -hmm. I do find myself missing it. Like I definitely, definitely have been missing the NICU and like right now I'm just, I'm, I'm doing Botox and training in fillers and it's a complete, complete 180, but, you know, getting away from, you know, a field where you're not at risk of, of your patients dying. And that was like a big thing for me, you know, I'm also feeling that as well. I think that sounds fun. It is really fun. It's a whole like artistic outlet. Like you get to like relearn facial anatomy and you're like, Oh, okay. What way are these muscles going to pull if I inject them? (laughs) And like, you're, rebuilding like fat pads and and like bone density loss and faces and just like there's so much you can do with like a quarter teaspoon of filler it's unreal wow I yeah I have been on the receiving end of some of those services pretty minimally but I still Mm -hmm. think it's a really fascinating field and I can totally see myself doing that almost like you said to just kind of balance out like the really traumatic clinical traumatic yes exactly traumatic aspect of of our jobs yeah but you're still ultimately helping someone you know feel a little better about themselves or you know for some people that's their self-care yeah there's a lot of applications Mm -hmm. you know at this point beyond the aesthetic like I tried Botox for TMJ earlier this year yes I know people oh my god you know various like trigger points. I don't know if that's, you know, the right way to say it, but like they'll do it in their neck and their shoulders. And mm-hmm. um, I just think that's a really cool thing to do. I'd like to try it maybe next year after I survived 2020. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's get through 2020. Let's get a COVID vaccine. Let's get our COVID boosters. And <laughs> oh my goodness. And see what happens. Oh my God. I mean, I'm getting tested for COVID every two weeks right now. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I enrolled in a study for healthcare workers. So oh, every cool. two weeks I go in and I give them various bodily fluids and <laughs> it's all been negative so far, you know, cause I'm considered high risk because mm-hmm. I come in direct contact with it. So I figured, you know, this is a cool way to contribute to science yeah. and also for myself personally to always know what my status is because also as a nurse, the flip side of, you know, not just am I encountering COVID, you know, up close and personally mm-hmm. at work, but now I'm a nurse and I'm viewed as a risky human being by a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I have yeah. friends who don't want to hang out with me, like it, which is mm-hmm. weird. And it's like, I have to just respect people's comfort levels. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I, you know, what am I really going to do? But I have like, my kids have friends who they're like, no, you know, we're not going to hang out with you guys. I mean, we're for the most part still you know, pretty socially distant. Like we're only hanging out with just like a few small groups or people, friends, family members and really small numbers here and there, but it's still doesn't make it easy for someone to say, I don't want to be around you because you're a nurse and you're dangerous. Yeah. That's a challenge as well. So yeah, you're celebrated, but you're also a leper of society now. Yeah, basically. I mean, to a certain extent, yeah. Uh, Leper's a strong word, but you know. Right. I'm not like completely outcast. Yeah. 
I'm just like viewed as both a hero and both and dangerous as mm-hmm. well. It's very strange. That is such a weird thought. It is. Wow. I can I cannot imagine what it feels like for you. You know. And I know you're not alone in feeling that. I don't even like the hero rhetoric so much. No. Mm-mm. It implies like a certain level of martyrdom that I think just like needs to go away from, you know, nursing and healthcare. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not a hero. I'm just trained to do a specific job and I can do it safely and effectively if I have all the right tools to do so. And mm-hmm. like, that was a lot of the dialogue that was happening early on in the pandemic with all the PPE shortages and, you know, nurses having to like basically go on strike, you know, until they got what they needed. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's been so intense. Oh my God, this year, like, I really, I don't, I honestly don't know what else and I probably shouldn't even say that. What else could happen? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, at, at this point, nothing else would nothing else would surprise me. And that also makes me sad that like I'm not surprised when like more bad things are happening. Yeah, you know, the there's always going to be some kind of crisis. I think mm-hmm. in this world, and yeah. I at the point now where I'm like, you know what, I don't want any of this to steal my joy or my happiness like that's a very good point just be sad or depressed or anxious all Mm -hmm. the time like I'm I'm much more just like calm and level-headed about it now as opposed to early on in the pandemic it Mm -hmm. it resurfaced a lot of like secondary trauma for me especially being in critical care it's like I know exactly what it looks like you know to watch to for human being to like basically suffocate to death and you know be put mm-hmm. on a ventilator and all these things and so i i had just like a full blown panic attack when i first heard of like the lockdowns and how things were going because it brought up just so much fear from what i've already seen and and dealt with and had to like work through um mm-hmm. as a as a provider and hearing about other providers, you know, contracting the illness and dying. And this is the first time that I've, that I've really, like the first disease that I can really remember that like healthcare workers are getting it on the job, like yeah, consistently. And, and then dying from. Yeah, it's just yeah. wild. Like that doesn't, hasn't been happening with other diseases. And that's also why it's so frustrating, you know, when people just brush off COVID like it's no big deal or a mm-hmm. hoax. Oh, it's a fine it's a fine line to <laughs> sometimes. It is. Um it is. you'd like to think that all healthcare providers, like all nurses and you know, doctors and respiratory therapists and like anyone that's in really close contact providing this care believes that it's real, you know, and but then at the same point, like we had God, we had this massive party in Nashville that this sleaze bag threw. And there was like 500 plus people there and no one was in masks. Like it was, it hit national news. And I almost like, oh my God, great. Nashville's on the news for being a bunch of stupid. And like, lo and behold, one of the main photographers that was going around the entire party taking pictures was positive for COVID. Um, yeah, it's just like a super spreader event, but they were like, there were nurses and stuff at this thing. And I'm like, why, why are you as a, as a member of the medical community displaying yourself at this party without a mask and when like complete disregard for like the lives that, you know, I, I don't know what unit you work on, but like, if you're in the hospital or not, like you know what's happening. You know what your coworkers are going through. You know what other people in the medical community are going through. Like, why why are you going to this party, posting pictures, and not wearing a mask? And and just being at this party in general, that's, it, oh my God, it just makes me so, and I can't form my words. Yeah, it's, that's a, that's a tough one. It's a mm-hmm. tough one for myself as well. I mean, I I am not isolating myself as extremely mm-hmm. as a lot of people that I know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a fine balance, I think, of, you know, that 
personal choice and also personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I really, I do sympathize with people who are concerned about, you know, kind of what's going on socially and politically. And Mm -hmm. it's not completely unfounded. You know, our, our government has been chaotic and untrustworthy at at best almost, you know? And so I, I really do, you know, understand I don't the other side, I guess, in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm also an advocate for you know personal liberties and freedom, and I mm-hmm. I often find myself at this crossroads as a healthcare professional because yeah. I also see you know the reality of this uh, disease and you know what mm-hmm. it's doing to people, and it and it's gnarly, <laughs> like it's really <laughs> nasty, and I it's it's difficult to to speak to it, like kind of seeing all sides of it, it, it all feels really chaotic and like, it's yeah. difficult to just exist in this world. Like what if I think about that even recently, like I went to the beach with a small group of people, you know, mm-hmm. and I posted a picture of myself not wearing a mask. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, am I going to get raked over the coals for this? Am I you know, yeah. going to get called out or canceled because I'm a nurse and I'm not mm-hmm. constantly wearing a mask? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I know that I know my status, I get tested every two weeks. Like I know that I'm negative, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really just inflamed so many, like so much divisiveness and so many other social issues in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, it can feel very overwhelming, you know, even for those of us who understand, you know, what's going on and we see it firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And I totally, I, I totally understand, you know, I, and I'm not saying like, I totally understand you. I mean, like, I totally understand like going to like a beach or trying to be outside somewhere, you know, with like a group of people that, you know, you trust, but then there's like going to a rager (laughs) is what I do, what I can't, can't get down with. Yeah. Large events are absolutely, you know, the most the most risky. I would yeah. feel very uncomfortable yeah. attending an event at all, but much less, you know, without a mask. Mm-hmm. I miss those events a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, I miss, I miss them so much. God, putting on a full face of makeup, you know, and like really doing my hair and just, you know, a hot ass outfit and like just going out. No. You I miss it. Funny. I did my full makeup just to sit here and talk to you over Zoom because I needed a reason to do it. <laughs> I love that. I put on a cute dress. <laughs> I wish I, I had a video it <laughs> Oh my God. I, I love that you took that effort though to like, for like self-care. I love it. I yeah, I, I just like don't have much of a reason to do it anymore, and it just felt good. I'm like, well, I'll feel cute while we're recording this podcast. Then, <laughs> good. I'm sure you look really cute. Too. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about the Empowered Birth Project. So, what led you to kind of creating that space for for women? My birth experiences led me to create that platform out of mm-hmm. just a personal need for connection with other people who are experiencing similar things. And I think that's how, you know, a lot of platforms and advocacy groups um, get started is, mm-hmm. you know, it's difficult to be a human and we like to connect with others who are going through similar things so we don't feel so isolated. And giving birth and becoming a parent um, is a very common experience. And yet, at least the way that it happens in the United States, like many other things, it can feel very isolating Mm -hmm. um, and very challenging, you know, because of the way our society is set up. And I decided I had the vision of um, creating like this online space after the birth of my second child, which took place at home. And I've spoken about this birth on a number of other podcasts, but to kind of give you a quick recap, mm-hmm. um, I had a really challenging, but uncomplicated, unmedicated birth in the hospital with my first. Mm-hmm. I was very dissatisfied with that experience. And so I sought out a home birth. And so this was back in 2010. 
Okay. And at that time, you know, Facebook was fairly young. It was like, if I wanted to connect with a group of people online, it was like Yahoo groups or something like, I just didn't know how to reach other people who felt the way that I did about birth. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know, that hospital experience left much to be desired for me. You know, there's gotta be a better way. And so I had an amazing, just euphoric, empowering home birth experience. And I was, I just felt like this great need to share it and to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And so a few years later, when I was pregnant with my next child, Instagram was a thing at that point um, in 2014. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, this platform's like pretty user-friendly and, you know, easy to do. And I like pictures. So I just started documenting my third pregnancy. And in that pregnancy, I was planning to have an unassisted home birth. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. With myself, my husband, and just a few close friends, I had nearly had an unassisted home birth the second time my midwives kind of got there right at the very end. Um, But at any rate, this was what I felt comfortable and empowered to do for myself at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I was sharing that story and I was documenting it. I actually had a a videographer filming stuff and, you know, with plans to make a documentary, which is still on my long list of, you know, unfinished projects. Um, I I still have all the footage. Um, So at any rate, his birth went completely, nothing went as planned, which happens often mm-hmm. in birth. And I ended up having an emergency cesarean at 43 weeks. Just oh, wow. And okay. so sharing that with my community that I had built at the time, mm-hmm. it was such a plot twist, but it was also like so relatable because, you know, what is it like up to 30% of birthing people in the United States have a cesarean, you know, like mm-hmm. 99 point some odd percent of people still birth in the hospital. So it was actually more kind of, kind of relatable and interesting to people, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that my, you know, birth went totally haywire and we both like yeah. barely survived. And yeah. so it really just opened my mind to I felt like I, I'm not a person who necessarily believes that oh things are meant to be. But mm-hmm. it really gave me so much more empathy and insight and fascination to explore birth you know, in this way, when things go wrong, when, you know, we're grieving the birth experience that we didn't get to have and Mm -hmm. postpartum depression and like healing after a traumatic cesarean and birth complications and all of that. And I just kept writing. I would just post once a day. And for the first year or so, it was mostly myself sharing my own personal healing through that experience. And then I realized how beneficial it can be for people to share their own stories And Mm -hmm. it was like a form of healing, you know, that they don't have to hold that inside of themselves anymore or feel, like I said, so isolated in their experiences. So then the platform really evolved to me, mostly sharing other people's um, birth stories and just other resources, information. And I, up until this year, I, I really step back from it when the pandemic hit, just for all the previous reasons we were talking about, I really just Mm -hmm. needed to conserve my energy to you know, just cope with everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for about five or six years, really consistently, I, um, I was very active on that platform. It's still there <laughs> with everything that I've done. Um, yeah. you know, I do a lot of speaking and, you know, you know, other kinds of things. So it's really cool to see how the online birth community has evolved since, you know, I was planning a home birth in 2010 and didn't know where to go or, you know, who to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, now the birth community online is, is just huge, um, which is great. You know, it's just a lot more accessible yeah. for people to share their stories and get resources and information. Yeah. Wow. That's such an incredible story. It's, it's such a interesting spot to be in as, as someone who's, you know, I don't want to say jaded by the NICU and like the types of patients and stuff that, you know, we, we see, you know, when, when, things like do go wrong but birth is just one of those things that like it's almost like a wedding you know you you think about it you know you think about having kids like you think about you know the family that you're gonna have you know I mean at least I, I did as a kid you know I thought about you know wanting kids and what that would look like and you know then you then you get older and like most people don't know that you can even create a birth plan yeah 
you know, and just, I think it's just really beautiful that you, that those resources are more available now and that you've created such a community where women can share these, these stories and like women like need and crave community, you know, for the most part, I think, I mean, we, we all do. I mean, like men, men will brew out too, but it's, it's different because women communicate more than men <laughs> and like they seek out those relationships and they seek out community, you know, more with, with females. And I think that's a really, really special resource that you've created. Yeah. Thank you. And in, in my bio on the platform, it says healing through storytelling and mm-hmm. that has been the primary basis for the project. Yeah. It, it was my healing for sure. Mm-hmm. I underestimated birth trauma. I underestimated postpartum anxiety and depression for sure. Like I said, I don't necessarily think it was meant to be, but I definitely, I just like learned and grew so much through that. And I, like you said, I just, I was craving community. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, who else has this happened to? Like, how did you survive this? How did you mourn this? How did you grieve this? Um, You know, just like normalizing those conversations instead of suffering in silence has been a big, big theme of my work. That's really beautiful. Um, Do you think it's something you'll eventually go back to? I think that's always a possibility. I'm just waiting for the time to be, to feel right again Mm -hmm. in my personal life. You know, you and I were chatting about this before we started recording the podcast. It's like Mm -hmm. people, a lot of people don't realize how much time and energy it takes to run a platform online. Mm -hmm. It, I've invested just hundreds, if not thousands of hours, you know, just building what I built. And it got to a point where I wasn't sure how to do it in a way that was satisfactory to the birth community and the online public as a whole. And Mm -hmm. that also felt good for me and my personal life and with my time. Um, And so like, I, I just needed a break you know, you needed a break from bedside nursing. It's like, these Mm -hmm. things are not easy. And sometimes stepping away is the best thing that we can do. So I'm still, you know, tuned in to, I'm still online. I'm still on social media. So I'm, you know, tuned in, um, not as actively participating in that particular conversation. And a lot of that is because COVID really took over my professional life and just required Mm -hmm. all of my attention and focus to feel safe and to, you know, keep providing and, (laughs) working. So, um, but I know that COVID has really affected, you know, the birth community as well. And it's just been really crazy to kind of watch that unfold, you know, especially for example, you know, hospitals limiting the number of visitors and, you know, birthing people are having to choose between a partner and a doula. And it just, you know, or nobody, like Mm -hmm. there were people giving birth completely alone at the very beginning of all of this. Um, you know, before hospitals felt comfortable bringing people in. Yeah, they were completely alone or they were separating parents from their babies out of concern for infection. And um, it's just a lot of, a lot of really- Dramatizing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think just being pregnant, like being pregnant and giving birth and being postpartum is such a vulnerable space to be. Yeah. (laughs) so vulnerable. I think that just like being pregnant, birthing and postpartum is a, in a pandemic is just traumatic in and of itself, like mm-hmm. on a, you know, biological level <laughs> with yeah. so much uncertainty and, you know, um, concern for survival. Like I, I've thought this so many times during the pandemic, I'm just like, thank God I have like already given birth to my kids. You know, they're old enough to survive. Like I just, and my heart really goes out to people who are going through that life transition in the midst of everything that's going on. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. I have, well, one of my good friends is about to deliver. Like she's, she's due it within like the next two weeks. And she was saying like they only, her hospital only just lifted the restrictions. So not like she can have her husband and her doula there. Oh, good. Yeah. So I'm as long as- 
Yeah, as long as her doula um, tests negative. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But she also might have to, um, if like her COVID test comes back, she might have to um, to deliver like with a mask on. And I'm like, oh my God, like even just like that simple little thing, like, yeah, I mean, it it makes sense, but like, I can't imagine, for, it, it makes sense from a infection standpoint, but I cannot imagine trying to like breathe and push a human out with a mask on my face. No, I can't imagine it either. I would hope that, you know, if these people test negative, that they can just be forgiven of the mask. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like if we're going to let anybody be maskless, can it please be laboring and birthing people? Please. <laughs> please, unless they need oxygen. That's the only right, thing they can right. wear. Then wear the simple mask. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's wild. But yeah, I, I mean, like, and I have a couple of friends. Um, one of my best friends just got pregnant and found out she was pregnant. Um, She's like 15 weeks now. So like in quarantine, in, you know, like the heat of all of this. And she's just like, she's scared. You know, she's like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm not seeing anybody. She hasn't even told anybody, which I did not just out her. <laughs> it's like, no, I mean, she's no, no one knows who this person is. But she's like, uh, she's been very, it's been a very anxious time for her. Cause she's like, I don't know, like what happens to me if I get sick and I'm pregnant and you know, I, my heart just goes out to the entire community of women right now that is pregnant. And I also feel like there's going to be like a massive baby boom in like the next couple months too. So yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. What are we five, five months, five, six months into the pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Where a lot of people have been spending more time at home with, you know, partners and what have you so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah there's gonna be a corn boom it's gonna happen <laughs> so we have like the baby boomers and and this is I, like I don't know what I don't know what this name is gonna have to be for all the babies born in 2021 but oh I've heard a few like clever names for this but they're escaping me at the moment what advice would you give and if you feel like you can't speak to this, that's, that's totally fine. But like, what, what advice would you give to women who are pregnant right now about like advocating for themselves during COVID? I mean, that, I guess it is my advice is to advocate for oneself, which can be really difficult to do. Like I said, when you're in that space of vulnerability already, mm -hmm. um, but just you know, it's gonna like being pregnant and giving birth during COVID is gonna just require an extra level of due diligence and finding out, you know, what are the facilities policies, for example, you know, do we need mm -hmm. to get tested first? And it, it really kind of takes that birth planning to a whole new level. And I, and honestly, COVID or no COVID, a lot of times my advice to people is like, you know, you can fire your provider, you can find someone different who's willing to work with you, um, you know, to give you the, to help you feel safe and supported in your birth. And that's another thing that's happening a lot in the birth community is people are afraid of the hospital, you know, for mm -hmm. good reason. And a lot of people are now thinking about, you know, well, what about a home birth? Mm -hmm. um, you know, home birth isn't for everyone. So I, it's never something that I recommend. You know, I don't tell people, oh, you should or should birth here or there, do this or that, um, you know, but it definitely is a time to explore your options and, you know, be asking a lot of questions and yeah. you know, get things in writing, get things in writing if you have to, mm -hmm. you know, that, like my partner and my doula will be allowed in, et cetera. It's just, you know, it's a really challenging time uh, to do all of this. So I, I'm just, I'm just glad that I don't have to do it, <laughs> but um, yeah. Find a, you know, find a provider who that, you know, who you trust to walk yeah. through the process for sure. That's easier said than done for a lot of people. You know, not mm -hmm. everybody has access to those options for a number of reasons. Right. Right. I don't know if there's like therapists who specifically um, are trained and in, in, I'm sure there are in just, you know, postpartum counseling and stuff like that, but 
I feel like if, if I were in the position to deliver now, I would want to have like, have a therapist on call, have like sessions set up with them, you know, just to kind of talk through and process everything that, you know, you just went through. Oh, absolutely. I think the therapy is pretty much always a good idea. Mm -hmm. It's also very, it's notoriously difficult to access mental health care. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're just going to see a wave of vulnerable people who aren't going to be able to access what they need, you know, because of the way our health, our healthcare system is set up. There are probably tons of pregnant and birthing people who lost their health insurance coverage, you know, they're unemployed. They don't, Mm -hmm. they don't have what they need. Like, I don't even feel like I can give great advice because everything is just such a mess. Yeah. It's like, it, just, it's like, it changes one day, the next pray. two. Like I'm not even, you know, I'm not even like a religious person and I just want to pray that all these people are going to be okay. It's just it's yeah. so hard out there right now. It's so hard. Yeah. Oh man. You're talking about, um, a home birth and even like, that's something that, you know, I've, I've definitely thought about, you know, because it just, it just sounds like such a beautiful experience and beautiful thing. But then like the, the NICU, I'm at war with myself because like the NICU side of me is like, well, make sure that there's someone there that can, you know, if some like, make sure you have all of your bases covered. Like if something goes wrong. Right. (laughs) And I know. I know. And things do go wrong. I, Mm -hmm. like I said, I don't recommend a free birth any more than I would say you should do this or a home birth or that's always been my stance is like this is a person's right as a human being to decide the context and the space in which they give birth you know Mm -hmm. I support I think that wanting to birth alone is normal you know Mm -hmm. a lot of people do that throughout the course of history Mm -hmm. um but it it carry both carry different risks yeah and you know, for myself, I tried to be as prepared as I could. I actually, I did get uh, prenatal care. I had, you know, I did the blood work. I had ultrasounds. I really felt it important to cover all my bases, mm-hmm. you know, to like be as prepared as I could. I had midwifery right. support. Uh, when I hit, you know, about 41 weeks or so, I sought out an OB, like just in case. And thank God I did, you know, because mm-hmm. I ended up having to check myself into the hospital in the middle of the night and drop his name. <laughs> Thankfully, like wow. I, you know, had a name to give that I had been seen, you know, yeah. um, I had oxygen at my place, like <laughs> just in case, and you know, yeah. things go wrong at home and things go wrong in the hospital, you know, yeah. you, nurse, you, you have a, a much different perspective of, mm-hmm. of how these things can play out. And I'm just super grateful that, you know, both my son and I were okay. He didn't have yeah. fontanelles. That's why he, he couldn't be sent. He could never have been born vaginally. wow yeah he just had this big like solid head oh my gosh (laughs) yep yep so my water broke and labor never started I just got I started getting fevers instead oh my god I after after about 24 hours I was like all right I've maxed out what I consider to be a safe waiting period and I'm gonna check Mm -hmm. myself into the hospital and sure enough um, not long after I checked in, he, you know, his heart rate dropped and they like just, you know, crashed C-section or emergency C-section rather. So yeah, yeah. He was never going to come out that way, <laughs> but there's no way to know that. That's why no. the mystery, you know, yeah. all of my, I was like as low risk as low risk can be. Yeah. I, you know, I crossed up all the boxes. I did the prenatal mm-hmm. care, the ultrasounds. I did, you know, the stress test, the non-stress test with an OB, like you know, at the end and it still, you know, had its own outcome, just a different outcome. It's not something that we can control. No, no. I mean, like one of my friends <laughs> found out she had a uterine window and like it was in, and ended up having to have like a emergent emergency section. So wow. it, yeah, it's definitely not the birth plan that she had in mind for herself and there was a lot of a lot of healing that she had to do through that and absolutely I'm just so really plan for birth but we can do our best to be prepared I like that you can't necessarily plan but you can try and be prepared (laughs) I love that that's right 
I'm so glad that we finally got to got to talk. Um, and I think what you have created, you know, it's like even if you're not able to give, you know, yourself to it right now, I think what you have created like stands very well on its own. Like there's so it's still such a resource. You know, I think a lot of people would still find comfort in that. Oh, thank you for saying that. I have it's been difficult just personally. I struggle with feelings of like abandonment, like I'm abandoning my platform and my community during this time, you know, when they need, you know, support, but I've had to just be okay with prioritizing myself and my own health and mm-hmm. well-being throughout this time. And I, I appreciate what you said. I, that's my hope, you know, that yeah. even if I'm not active on the platform at this time, that it can just stand alone for what it is and, you know, mm-hmm. the love and attention that I've given it over the years and that people can find it and say, wow, like there's so much interesting content here. Yeah. You've really done an incredible job with it. Thank you so, so much. Where all can people find you? Where can people find the Empowered Birth Project and, you know, you, if they have want to connect with like the content you post on your actual page? Yeah. Instagram is still my main social platform. And so I would suggest finding me there. My birth platform is, as we've said, Empowered Birth Project. And then I'm I'm more active personally right now at Katie Vigos on Instagram. I don't spend too much time on Facebook anymore. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Not on that at all. (laughs) I'm on it because I have to have it for like a business page. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's there, but I'm not Mm -hmm. on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not on Facebook. So Instagram's where it's at. Pretty much, at least for now. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Katie, thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with me and and share your story. I appreciate you and your work so much. Thank you. It was really fun to finally connect and have a good conversation. You are welcome back anytime. (laughs) Thanks, Danielle. I appreciate you too. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and taking the time and space to support the WOMED by listening and appreciating the guests that I have on. And huge thank you again to Katie for taking the time to come on and speak with me and share more of her story. I absolutely loved our conversation and Katie is just such a beautiful soul in this space. Make sure to find the Empowered Birth Project on Instagram at Empowered Birth Project. While Katie isn't actively on it at the moment, there's still so much information on there and beautiful stories that were shared that may provide a lot of comfort and healing. You can follow Katie personally at Katie, that's K-A-T-I-E, Vigos, V-I-G-O-S. You can follow me at The WOMED and personally at Diamulfi. Make sure to subscribe, like, rate, and drop a review if you feel like it. Till next week, please be good to each other. WOMED out. Out.